Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? It is a wonderful time of year. We are headed to Iowa right now. Actually, while we're doing this recording, we're not. But while you listen to this, we will be headed to Iowa. And, uh, man, that is an exciting thing. I've got a lot of packing to do currently to get myself ready to to, uh, to depart from Texas here. Um, KC probably does too. But this morning, you did some hunting. <laughs> I did. I cannot help myself. Uh, this morning was going to set up perfectly for my property to hunt uh it was going to be pretty chilly good wind and uh, it did not disappoint Mm. i saw some of the best like pre-rut action we'll call it that i've ever seen in east texas this morning Mm -hmm. i might have seen 20 deer uh it's real hard to keep track of does when they're going in and out of timber and here and there and everywhere like you just don't know how many are there but I know three different groups of does for sure. A couple small bucks and one buck that we know as black neck who has like that really cool coloration where he's got that black stripe down his neck. He's like black silver face. too, yeah. like colored overall. Yeah, yeah. He's he's cool, man. And then I saw a new eight point that we had on camera one time and man in person, he looks like a toad. <laughs> Dude, and, on camera, he looks like a toad. Yeah, to I me. know. And the thing is, is he may or may not be legal yeah. in Texas, but I think that's what makes those bucks get really big and why we are enjoying some of the bigger deer in this time of our, or in our generation, because, yeah. uh, you know, used to, that deer would have got smoked, and uh, now he'll probably get to live till next year. So. Well, there's a chance. There are some people in East Texas still that don't know anything about laws. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. They're drinking them claws. Um <laughs> But anyways, that buck uh, went out and rubbed 
uh, a tree for quite a while this morning. Let's go. I can only assume that he had hit the scrape down there. My camera's over, so I can't wait to go check that camera. And speaking of scrapes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a scrape guy on the podcast today, a guy who has done a lot of his own uh, personal research on scraping, uh, making mock scrapes, uh, using uh, real scrapes that have been made by deer, uh, Dave Skinner. And uh, at least he sounds like a Southern boy. I know, you know, <laughs> Kentucky is kind of kind of iffy, I guess, uh, uh, for some people. But he sounds Southern. So uh, it's good to talk to a fellow Southern-sounding guy uh, that kind of makes you feel like, hey, we might encounter some of the same obstacles sometimes. Yeah, you yeah know? that's so. right. Speaking of obstacles, the downer of my morning hunt. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Tyler got the, uh, the rage version of this. I'm going to try to keep it just pretty chill. <laughs> So, all of this has transpired. I have not, I didn't even have time this morning to do an interview. Like, no B-roll, no nothing. I had deer the whole time. Filled my SD card the whole, like, to the brim uh, during the sit. And at 8.30, suddenly, here come three bucks running full speed out of the woods into the pasture. Like, and not the good kind of run. The bad run. <laughs> the tail up kind of run. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, it wasn't even the tail up kind of run. Oh, yeah. It was the, let me tuck my tail and get the deuce out of here <laughs> run. You know what I'm talking about? That yeah. run? Yeah. And it's like, and I'm like, what is happening? And then for the next three minutes, like, total chaos ensues. You have deer running every direction, not knowing who is scared of what. I think some of the deer are scared of the other deer. Like, <laughs> you don't know what's happening, yeah. right? And then here comes more deer out of the woods. And then, like, everybody, like, stands out in the pasture and tries to calm down. And they're all looking at each other like, did you do it? Who did it? You know, and like, and I don't know. I don't have a clue what's happening. And finally, they run back to the woods, and they all run. And then there's, like, two or three left out there. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's a coyote or something. Well, finally, these three deer run back by. That's Blacknecks, one of them. He came right at the base of my stand. Uh, could have shot him if I wanted to. Um, he's not legal either, which kind of is sad, but that's okay. He's pretty. Um, and then I look across the pasture, and there's the wagging of a giant tail and two big black floppy ears mm. off of a hound dog mm. that I have seen on my camera a couple times. Mm -hmm. And he cleared the field and made not only scared my. It's not like you pull up in the truck and. You, the deer like, oh, run away into the woods and stop. Like, those deer were running for their lives from this dog. I don't know if he actually was going to kill one or whatever, you know, but, like, they did not like it. Like, mm -hmm. way worse than even if I'd have walked back there. Thank so, God. it's pretty disturbing. I was pretty ticked this morning. And I don't know who owns the dog. I don't, I've never seen the dog around except for on trail camera, and then I saw him this morning. So, I kind of think he's coming from a ways off. But there's a couple of them. And I don't really know what to do about about the situation, to tell mm -hmm. you the truth. Like, you know, part of you really wants to take care of the situation yourself, but that's probably not the right thing to do. Um, so I, I don't know if I can trap the dog or if I can just find out who the owner is. But there's there's a couple other dogs that don't have collars that I've seen back in there, too. So I don't really know this, the, the right answer. I think I yeah. might, like, weld me up a arrow with like a three inch washer on the front and just just whap just give him a hard spanking and run him off yeah. <laughs> i don't man. know man it's it, i was i was ticked tyler tyler bared the brunt of it this morning but yeah. 
I was Man, not happy about it. I don't know. I feel like where your property's at, you're going to deal with that yeah. um, from time to time. Like mm-hmm. maybe one year you don't and one year you do or a couple years you don't. And then all of a sudden there's another rogue dog. You know, I feel like you're going to have that here. So like starting to develop a plan of action for that could be probably a useful thing for yeah. you in the future, you know. And I, I'm with you. Like I don't know what to do. I mean, honestly, like I would have – just personally, I would have a hard time shooting a dog. I know people don't, uh, there are people out there that are like, ah, oh, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool, whatever. But I'm not that person. I would have a hard time shooting one, but, uh, like, I don't know, man. Like it's, you can I don't know how you're going to find out whose dog that is necessarily. Um, so it's like, you know, do you trap it and try to take it to a bunch of houses and spend a half day doing that? Or yeah. do you just trap it and like, take it six miles down the road or something and hope that it never comes oh, back or dude, do you just like beat it you know? is nothing to them you know I well don't know. you know whatever i'm just saying yeah. a long ways you know or or do you just you know just trap it and then just kick it as you run after it as it leaves you know or whatever i don't know <laughs> that worked on your guinea pit i mean your uh pot belly oh, it is <laughs> oh, not 100%. Been <laughs> I, you know same situation i was like man is this a pet i don't i don't think we should shoot this thing you know so we we just you took off and you know, true KC fashion after this pig and mm-hmm. just uh, basically chased it to where I have not seen him since. So that's exactly what I wanted to happen, you know. I don't know if you can do that with a dog or not, um, but, man, that's a frustrating experience. And, uh, you know, I saw uh, an episode one time where Bill Winky uh, had, like, three dogs come in and, and uh, like, start chasing a coyote in the field. Yeah. And they chased it into where Bill said the deer, deer bedding was. Mm. And, uh, so, I mean, even, even old Bill's dealing with that kind of deal. And yeah, Bill's got a dog that falls into the stand, but it doesn't chase the deer. They <laughs> <laughs> got pretty used to Duke, I think is his name. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, so we're not, uh, it's a different kind of Duke around here. Uh, it's a Dukey situation. <laughs> um, but I don't know what to do about it. If you have got an idea and you're listening to this podcast, send us a message and let me know what to do. Yeah, if um, you've dealt with that, I mean, we I, need some help. I know the obvious solutions, but like if you have a creative solution, maybe uh, let me know what that might be. Uh, otherwise, I'm just gonna have to just deal with that, and I, I don't think I'm gonna deal with it. Like it's gonna, I'm you gonna do something. Maybe. I'm gonna do something. I mean, about whether it. like I said, whether it's just a matter of like kick, kicking the dog after you trap yeah. it, or shooting it with a three inch washer, you know, or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know, or slingshotting that dude, whatever. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good idea. So mm-hmm. yeah, because I know you're kind of an expert slingshotter. Ooh, aren't you? I used to be, man. It's one of those. I don't know if it's like a bike or not. You know, like used to, I could hit that target at 20 yards where I wanted to, uh, but I don't know if that's how it is still. But you, still, you see that barn over there? Yeah. I could not hit that <laughs> with a slingshot. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I never was a good slingshotter, which I never tried that much, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, when I did, it was pretty bad usually. Maybe my slingshots were just bad. I don't know. I'd, li- I'd like to blame it on those for sure. Yeah, I think that was the problem. Yeah. I think it was. Well, but, uh, hopefully uh, that those dogs don't run my deer off permanently, and uh, I can employ some of these scrape tactics that old Dave's going to tell us about. Yeah, I uh, I need to get to, to packing, and I need to make sure my bow's still shooting good, and so I think we just need to get Dave on the podcast. All right, now on the phone, I've got Dave Skinner from Whitetail Properties. What's happening, Dave? Oh, not much, Tyler. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm. Uh, we got a cold front last night. I'm not in a deer stand, but um, that's okay, because I needed a little recovery after all the the uh hectic weekend i had man i uh had a newborn niece this uh about a week ago and we weren't able to see her last weekend so we went after church to to uh 
uh, about an hour and a half, uh, which is towards the Metroplex here in Dallas. And we actually had a tornado last night in Dallas. I don't know if you've seen the news about that. but uh, I did. I saw yeah. some pictures on Facebook earlier this morning. Yeah. crazy. I know it, man. It is crazy. It's kind of not – you wouldn't think of this time of year as being tornado season, but – I guess when you live in Texas, things can get wild at any point. <laughs> I'm sure there's some kind of idiom for it, you know, like if it, you know if it frosts in July, you're gonna have a tornado in October. <laughs> yes. You know, there's always something. That's like in that. the farmer's almanac <laughs> yeah. for sure. I was gonna say refer to the farmer's almanac. I'm they, sure it can tell you what's going on. Hey, yeah. it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to be a, a harsh winter like every winter, according to the farmer's almanac. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Everybody wants to talk about that, but uh, there's one thing that you can count on this time of year, man. That scrapes and that kind of thing. Um, and I know that you spend a lot of time um, just kind of up in your scrape game, looking at camera, truck camera pictures, placing them in the right spots, and there's there's a lot of different uh, just intricacies involved around that. Um, up until this point, and we're we're you know kind of getting towards late October. Have you been hunting scrapes uh, since opening day, or um, what have you been doing as far as the tactics go and trying to kill a deer the early season? You know, um, this is going to sound terrible. I ha- Yesterday was my first hunt of the season. Our season's been in since the first Saturday of September, and I have not had a deer that I wanted to hunt. So um, I've been kind of kind of laying off. But as, as scrapes go, typically um, you don't start seeing actual scraping activity, regular scraping activity, where they're doing the entire process, licking branch, pawing at the ground, peeing on our tarsal glands. You don't start seeing that until on into October. Um, I start my mock scrapes and start transitioning cameras over to those, usually right around the 1st of October, sometimes late September, knowing that I'm going to have you know, just limited success for a week or two, but right now is when they're really hot, man. I so, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I do it a little differently. I hear guys talk about hunting scrape lines and I don't so much hunt scrape lines as I use those scrapes to inventory my bucks. Gotcha. Um, so th- that's my big thing. I'm not saying that I never hunt near a scrape because I usually put mock scrapes in my food plots and things like that. Cause I want to know, I want to know what bucks are using those food plots and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, uh, I got a buddy here in Texas that does a similar thing. Um, and it's the property he hunts is river bottom, uh, just ash timber and, and that kind of stuff, lots of hackberries. And so, um, he uses the same kind of system of, uh, he sets up a scrape and he runs a camera on scrapes and on, uh, like mineral licks during the summer. And that's kind of how he inventories. And then he hunts, he hunts off of those, um, in in different areas you know it's it's so hard sometimes when you're talking about a big timber looking situation on you know where you can find um a deer using using the property in daylight as opposed to like why why would he use that in daylight as opposed to nighttime or whatever so um but you're in kentucky is that right that's right okay so has the weather been hot there i guess man it has been um hot and dry yeah up until we had a real nice front to roll through last weekend let's see last not this past weekend the weekend before which happened to coincide with our youth deer hunt um and man the deer were really really active i I took a little girl out saturday evening we'd been shooting some over the summer and uh took her out saturday evening and we had just a really good hunt we had 
three different bucks on camera that we had hoped, you know, one of the three would come in and we ended up seeing all three of them. So, mm-hmm. um, and she killed the biggest of the three. So wow, that's had awesome. A, yeah. Yeah. had a great hunt. <clears throat> Wasn't a great big deer. He was a two or three year, probably a three year old 10 pointer. Um, probably in the one twenty five to one thirty range, something like that. But man, she was, she was tickled to death and I was excited for her. it was, it was a really, really great experience. Man, that's so. awesome. Is that part of, are you like part of the mentorship program or, or what's your involvement there? Okay, well, I have always tried to be involved in, in different programs, take kids hunting through the NWTF Jake's program over the years. QDMA here in Kentucky has a uh, military youth hunt they do, but I had kind of gotten out of that over the last couple of years, mainly because I've got a daughter that's that's of that age. However, every year she plays she plays in my head, you know, like teenage girls do. They, they mess with your head. So she, she would tell me yeah, I'm going to hunt, and then she wouldn't. And so this year I didn't even ask her. Um, basically, it sounds terrible. But I, I, had, I had this lady that we used to go to church with this family, and I, I knew who they were, but I didn't really know them. And back in the summertime, I got this random text, and, hey, I'm so-and-so, and we used to go to church together, and I've got this 12-year-old daughter that, will not shut up talking about deer hunting and no one in our family deer hunts. And I know that you do, would you take her hunting? Um, so it, it's a, it, this could be a podcast all in itself. Sure. I put this really, I put this really neat story up on, on social media about her and her story. Basically her grandfather, um, was a deer hunter and, and a pretty dedicated deer hunter. He passed away about four years ago before she was old enough to really go. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she wants to go and I didn't realize what a connection that was between her and her grandfather until we're in the blind really and and it's just me and her and and we're talking and what was crazy is this kid has never hunted only her grandfather when she was eight had she ever really been around anybody that hunted but she knew what she knew what rattling antlers were she was asking me about naming hit list bucks so she's been watching <laughs> videos on on youtube but mm-hmm. she she knew some stuff man and unbeknownst to me she had named these three bucks and uh yeah so i'm like well what have you named them because i haven't named them you know and um so anyway we had to we watched this one buck make a scrape whenever he was coming in matter of fact the first thing that drew my attention to him was the top of the tree shaking and i threw my binoculars up and this this nice seven pointer two-year-old deer is coming in and you know for a kid's first hunt man i I want him to shoot whatever makes them happy Mm -hmm. yeah she had already passed on some does and the seven pointer comes in and he's at 40 yards, but it's a, it's a head on shot, which she's shooting a high power rifle, but I'm not keen on that shot anyway. You know, I want a double lung that I know we're going to recover the deer after a short track job. <clears throat> so anyway, she ended up not getting a shot at him. And when he left is when we start talking about naming these deer. And she says, yeah, I named him I 65. <laughs> and she had been, she had been watching, um, my Spartan cellular cameras on her phone. I'd given her my app and, and stuff and she was able to watch it. So she was, she was familiar enough. What, what happens with most first time hunters is a buck is a buck is a buck. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't notice the intricacies from one set of antlers to the other, but she immediately recognized this buck as a seven pointer that we had on camera. And it was the only seven pointer we had on camera. And she's, she has named him I 65 because the first time she got a picture of him, her family was driving down I 65 going on vacation. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like that. Well, as soon as that deer left, I look up in the field and there's an eight pointer in the far end of the field. And we had pictures of him 
he ended up kind of boogering out, never give her a never never give her a shot. And she told me she had named him Chevy. And I said, Well, why Chevy? That's kind of weird. She said, Well, my grandpa drove a Chevy truck. And man, my heart just melted, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, you know, I, I'm sitting over there in the corner trying to hide tears, and I'm thinking, man, I hate that deer run off. And then I get to thinking about this big 10 pointer. He's the biggest deer we got on camera. He's got to be a pretty special deer to her because he's he's so much more impressive than the other. So I said, Well, what about what about the Big Ten? What did you name the Big Ten for? She said, I named him Dale. And I'm like, why Dale? She said, well, my grandpa's name was Delward. So I named him after Dale, after Delward, my grandfather. And man, the tears are just flowing down my <laughs> cheeks. And I'm like, dude, I really kind of didn't want her to shoot that one because he had such great potential, you know, two, three years down the road. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm like, there's not another deer on this farm she can kill, but Dale in that <laughs> last light, guess who shows up in the field but Dale, and she makes a she makes a perfect 95-yard shot. And uh, so he's at a taxidermist, and Dale will be hanging on her wall. She can look at him every day now. That's so, cool. That's an awesome story, man. That's just – it's too cool. It's um, – you know, this is kind of a common theme, I guess, the last couple weeks for us. But we've uh, – we had our buddy Sam on the podcast last week, and he was – mentioning the same thing as far as uh just kind of helping uh just mentor new hunters he's got a bunch of buddies at work that really never hunted and he's got guys that are just dropping deer you know he's just taking them out and they're they're just you know killing deer man and and uh, he's like these guys are lifelong hunters at this point and i think it sounds like that's what's going to happen uh with the girl that you kind of mentored there as well that's just cool story man We've got a we've got a late season doe hunt planned, and um, we'll probably even go some during modern rifle season as well. And I may even get her out with a crossbow at some point in the season. She's got three doe tags, so um, we got we got plenty of season left. So hopefully, hopefully we get some more uh, some more meat and some more memories. That's yeah, yeah. awesome. Dude. That's awesome, dude. Great story on that. And it sounds like <coughs> that there's some tactic involved with what we want to talk to you about today. You said something about that first uh, I sixty five working a scrape so did you go in there with her and kind of set up over a scrape that you knew was there or did it just happen to be there well the the again the way i the way i uh kind of inventory bucks this time of year is with scrapes and about uh, I, and again i don't i don't necessarily set right up over my try to position the scrape in a, in a point to where I know bucks are going to see it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean I will be there at that spot to shoot that buck. But he, if he's in the area, come the rut, it's it's all about. And, and this is a unique situation. I've got I've got a, a ridge um, that kind of goes off to the right of where our blind was. It's a ridge top field, and it turns into a, a timbered point. Uh, and bucks bed off of that point, and I and I know they do. It's it's year in year out. And there's actually three or four of those points right here. This is it's kind of hilly type ground, and uh, we're in a big field. Um, and I had a mock scrape with a wireless camera on it in that finger um, right off of that point. So I knew what bucks were using the area just by that. And he came from that scrape. However, he was working a, a natural, you know, real scrape that just happened to be on a little sapling there um, on, on the edge of the field. So he wasn't on my scrape, but there's so many scrapes through there. Mine is the one that's kind of the community scrape. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I mean, you've seen these community field edge scrapes before where they're the size of the hood of a truck and every buck in the country hits it well that's what i try to replicate yeah and typically 
typically that's the most visible licking branch in the area. It's maybe on an outside corner or on a field edge. It has very few overhanging limbs or, or, or maybe a tree out in the middle of a field, you know, that every deer from everywhere can see it. And they know year after year after year, um, those, those bucks come to it. It's, it's really, it's really interesting. I've gone into areas before that had almost no scrapes and establish a fake lamb hanging out over a field and, and get bucks to using that. And I know year after year after year, that's going to be my best camera location where in years past, I got almost nothing on camera because those bucks can walk anywhere and they, they really redirects their traffic. Mm-hmm. However, most scrapes are made at night. So I think just recently QDMA put out an article about scrapes. And, and if I remember correctly, the study said 85% of scraping activity occurs at night. So just because there's a scrape there doesn't mean I'm going to hunt on it. And rarely do I hunt just because there's a scrape. I used to do that, but I, I ended up with a lot of empty days of hunting. And, you know, because there was a scrape there, I thought it was a great spot to hang a stand. Not necessarily, but I want to be in that, in kind of in that rut zone. And the scrapes occur naturally in that area, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. For yeah, sure. for sure. Is the, is the licking branch or the scrape and the size and, and everything, the actual scrape and the dirt more important in your opinion so the licking branch is definitely in in my opinion the most important part of the scrape and if you've run cameras long enough you've bound to see in may or june or july a buck working a licking branch in the background just you know by happenstance and Mm -hmm. that's kind of how i realized that deer communicate with licking branches all year long that doesn't necessarily mean in June or July I'm going to hang a camera on a licking branch, but I know where those licking branches. I know where there are some of those licking branches at that that bucks use all year long. You know what they don't do all year long is is pawing at the ground, the actual scraping part of the scrape. So to me, the licking branch is the visual cue. Okay, that's what mm-hmm. tells them. And you typically, if you're if you've hunted long enough, you can be walking along and see a limb in the distance and almost it clicks in your head. I bet there's a scrape under that limb. Mm-hmm. And and this time of year, nine times out of 10, when you walk up there, yep, there's a scrape there. So that's kind of what I'm playing off of. And, and I, I, I'll be honest, I kind of learned this by just dumb luck, I guess. Um, golly, it's probably been 15 years or so ago, maybe longer. I'm, I'm a relatively, I'm not young in age, but I'm a young hunter. I haven't been hunting <laughs> okay. very, very long. I started, uh, I think I went on my first deer hunt in 1995. I was 20 years old. Um, but I really didn't get into it until about 2000 is when I really started like going crazy with it. And about mm-hmm. 2000, probably 2004 or five, one of my best friends was here hunting with me and we were on my father-in-law's little farm and we were walking down a logging road and we, as we approach this intersection and the logging road is kind of a T intersection, there's a beech tree there. And it's actually, we weren't hunting. This was, I'm trying to remember what time of year it was because it, it wasn't, the rut wasn't on, but I remember seeing that limb hanging out and it hit me. I mean, I bet there'll be a scrape there because it's at, a, it's at an intersection in the road. And I know deer use that road and that limb was just at the perfect height. Um, and it just hit me. I bet there'll be a scrape there. And sure enough, that fall, I go back and there's this big, huge scrape right under that limb and I hung the camera on it. And that was probably the first experience I had hanging a camera on a scrape and it was a real scrape. And then I quickly learned that, man, I bet I can replicate that. If I can see that there should have been a scrape there, I bet I can find that again. And then I went from that to 
um, making that limb. In other words, taking a limb from somewhere else and, and putting it in that spot. And, and it just kind of, I don't know, over the last seven or eight years, I've, I've tried to refine it to a point to where now it's almost a guarantee. I know, I know I'm going to get a deer, you know, on, on that camera. And sometimes within hours of hanging, uh, literally with, and I know everyone worries about scent and I do as well. And I try anytime I'm out in the woods this time of year to be as scent free as possible, but I don't wear rubber gloves when I'm doing them. I usually don't put scent in the scrapes. That's probably one of your questions you're going to ask me. I usually don't, I don't say don't always, but a lot of times I just make one on a whim and, and didn't have any scent with me. And then the deer use it. I'm like, well, maybe I don't need scent. So I, I think for them to learn where the scrape is and, and start using it. It's more of a visual cue than anything else. And that starts with the licking branch. Of course, this time of year, I paw out the ground, but I've hung licking branches and not pawed out the ground and end up with deer pawing at the ground. So uh-huh. it's, that licking branch is by far the most important. So when you're making a mock scrape, like you talked about earlier, um, you know, how it can like induce deer movement and, and, you know, the deer start scraping that area because of it. Are you always hanging a a new licking branch or are you trying to find like an optimal licking branch to put a, put a mock scrape on? Because I feel like if there's already an optimal uh, licking branch there, they're going to end up scraping there. So it's kind of... That's exactly, that's exactly right. So typically when I'm doing a mock scrape, there isn't anything there. Or uh-huh. if there is, maybe it's a jumbled up mess and I want to put a camera on it. So a lot of times I'm removing stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so I've, I've got a I've got a lot of different methods and and those methods include I've got a little scrape making toolkit that stays in my stays in my UTV all the time. I've got and I thought I think it's called a chop saw. It came from Walmart. It's a it's a machete with a hook on one end and a saw on the back and then mm-hmm. just a machete blade on the front. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great for cutting limbs out. I don't have to have pruners or another saw. It's not the best saw in the world, but it works in a pinch. I can chop down vegetation and I use that hook to scrape up the ground. I, you know, dig a little bit, that kind of thing. Um, and I keep uh, I keep zip ties and I keep paracord. Um, and I've even used rope some for scrapes. Um, like heavy, like three quarter inch hemp rope, mm-hmm. um, because I noticed that bucks scrape under um, uh, grapevines a lot. <clears throat> so I love to find a grapevine hanging at just the right area, and then or hanging, and then cut it off at just the right height, because that almost always turns into a scrape, especially if it's on a trail or, or a, a logging road or something like that. It almost always turns into a scrape. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, I'm getting some really killer pictures and videos right now on exactly that. It was a scrape. It was a grapevine I found laying on the ground. So I picked it up and just on a whim wedged it between two limbs of a of a tree at just the perfect height. That's kind of a it's a horizontal just stick basically sticking out. It's a probably a two inch in diameter grapevine and the deer are just hammering it. I mean they're just wearing it out. I got a really nice buck on it too. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just on a whim one day I was trying to find a spot to hang a camera and I, I saw that laying I'm like, I wonder if I could get that at the right height. And sure enough, you know, I took a little piece of bungee cord, or not bungee cord, but uh, paracord and tied it in so they couldn't push it out and mm-hmm. it's turned out really good. So what is that, that perfect <laughs> height that you're talking about there? What is what? What's the perfect height that you're talking about there? 
Um, you know, just about I'm I'm five nine, so I like the licking branch to be about chin high on me. Um, I've seen them a little higher, a little lower, um, but just about chin high seems to be just about perfect. I guess probably about five foot off the ground. Um, you know, bucks bucks probably aren't as tall as a lot of people imagine they are, and mm-hmm. they like to stretch for that licking branch a little bit. But does you know, I want the does using it as well, and I'll get more doe pictures on a scrape than I will buck pictures. Um, um, especially this time of year, they're more curious about it. And then in the next, in the next week to 10 days, that'll transition to where it'll be almost all bucks, mm-hmm. um, on, on the scrape. You'll get an occasional visit from a doe and then they'll just go dead. Um, I mean, like graveyard dead. You'll think every deer in the, in, deer in the world is dead, but they're just not doing scrapes. They're doing, they're doing the deed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's how I know. That's how I know when the rut is here, when my scrape cameras go cold, I know that it's on that bucks are breeding does or they're chasing them so hard that, you know, it's going to be in the next day or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a great indicator of what's going on with the yeah. rut. So what's the, what's the, um, kind of run us through the typical method of hanging a limb. Like what, what limb are you grabbing? I mean, in the case of the grapevine, it was just kind of a happenstance thing. It feels like maybe, but like, do you, do you seek out a, a certain size and type of limb and how long is it? How, what's the diameter of it? Um, and how do you fasten it in, in what fashion do you do that as well? It depends on what's available. My preferred limb is a red Oak because red Oaks hold their leaves way through winter. Beach is another ex- ex- exceptional option. Uh, they hold their leaves really long. And again, it gives that visual cue because if that limb is hanging vertically out over a field and it's still got some leaves on it and everything else is bare around those, those deer will see that. And and at least in my mind, that's what's happening. And it seems like I have more luck with those oak and beech limbs, but I don't always use oak and beech limbs. If I don't, it really doesn't matter the diameter of them because you got the leaves hanging there. The big thing is, is it long enough to reach something overhead that I can hook it to? So sometimes I've had to cut limbs that were 20 foot tall and just wedge them in a branch. It was way up because there's nothing, nothing close by. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll cut like a, almost make a shepherd's hook, just cut a V in the, uh, a big long limb with another limb coming off of it, cut part of that limb off. So I've got a hook now and I can reach up and grab a limb, pull it down. And if it's the right kind of limb and it looks good, I will just tie that off to another sapling or something nearby with some paracord. That's mm-hmm. where, the, where the paracord comes in. If not, then I will zip tie or tie with paracord my limb onto that. So this hanging vertically out over the field, as far out in the field as I can get it. Um, and, uh, the, the key is to get it at the right height. So I don't, I want it bigger than I need it. And then I take my pruners and I make it look the way I want it to. So if it's a limb, I want multiple, multiple limbs, but not so much as going to block the camera's view of the deer's antlers while he's working it. Cause a lot of times the first picture you'll get is his nose up in the limb and you don't get, you know, he works it for five or six seconds. You get a few pictures and you never get a real nice clear view so i want to be able to define his antlers while they're up in that up in that limb um but that's it i mean i've I've experimented with everything just a just like a one inch limb like trim all the limbs off of it and hang that it works um but i like the more visibility of some leaves and what have you ever walked up to a licking branch in, in early October when the leaves are still on and it's kind of twisted and broken and you can see it from a distance because the leaves are upside down and they look a little different mm-hmm. than the other leaves on that tree? 
I personally, I think that's a visual cue to other deer. Oh, let me go see who's done that. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they can see those leaves are not right. Yeah. In my mind, I can see it that way. I don't know why, you know, I know our vision and deer vision is different, but that's the thought process that I go through. If I can see it, then probably the deer can see the difference as well. Especially when you're talking about just a whole row of limbs and they all look the same. And then you've got a, a little dogwood limb, maybe that's twisted off and the leaves are silver on top and red on the other side, or red on top and silver on the bottom or silverish on the bottom. You can see that from a mile away. I think that's a visual indicator to deer. So again, if I hang that limb vertical, those leaves look like that. They look like that limb has been broken from a deer licking on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a visual cue to draw more attention uh, and get more deer over there. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like a dead limb or a limb that you've trimmed that came from another place is just as effective as like a pre-existing limb that you tie into a specific place or, you know, kind of reposition or whatever, or do you feel like that, uh, those deer, they like the suppleness of a, like a limb that's still attached to a tree or does it matter? I don't think it matters. Um, what I, what I do, I would prefer to use a limb that's already there either by tying it down or trimming out other stuff and leaving that one limb there that's optimal. Mm-hmm. However, even when I've got an optimal limb there, sometimes I will hang something that contrasts in that limb um, just to get their attention because it looks so much like everything else. I want to I want to try to get their attention. So I may clip, you know, a 12-inch section of cedar limb and hang in that tree just to draw their attention, knowing that it really doesn't matter. They're probably going to work it anyway, but I, I just, you know, it's like adding that last little icing to the cake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> sure. You got to just put one little touch on it and, and it makes it mine now. I've, I've manipulated it and now I'm responsible for what happens there kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's just a piece of, a piece of mine, I guess. And, uh, um, I, I would prefer the limb already be there. That way, next year, it's quicker for me to go in there and set up. And because what's going to happen is over a year, that lamp's probably going to get broken out of the tree or or something. It won't be there next year. Now I've got to redo it. I've got scrapes I've been I've had open now for probably, I don't know, probably, well, I lost, I had, I had one farm for about five years and probably the best scrape pictures I ever got was off of that scrape. And there are other scrapes on the field edge, but they didn't make, they didn't have a good spot for me to hang a camera. So I literally removed those licking branches and then put one exactly where I wanted it. So I have a really good, a pretty picture. In other words, I want this really nice, nice view. And, and man, it just, it was a dynamite. I ended up losing the farm. Someone leased it out from under me, but I would almost guarantee you, I could go back to that spot today. It's been probably three, four years since I had a scrape there, since I had a camera on it, I almost guarantee I'd go back to that spot today and there's a scrape there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, I, I would rather have a natural limb, but I, I don't mind at all to hang one. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, if you're looking, if you, I mean, there's just places sometimes um, where you're like, and you said this earlier, but you could look at maybe like in a, a little bit bigger picture, you see a place that you're like, man, that uh, shelter belt or whatever, man, there should be some scrapes on that. And it's a line of uh, boat arcs or whatever, maybe. And they, there's really like, there's no defining, uh, there's, there's no like unique um, features like a uh, one limb that sticks out further or anything. Uh, but it is a hard edge where, you know, deer probably using, um, 
you know, is that like an ideal situation for you to, to use a limb that you would bring in or, you know, maybe, maybe the point, uh, like you were talking about earlier in a, in a field, uh, a point of timber that kind of comes out, but there's not, um, a limb that sticks down far enough for the deer to reach it or something like that. Are those like ideal situations or what, I guess run us through an ideal situation where you would bring in a limb and go, I know this is going to work. So that ideal situation to me would be looking down a field edge and there's no low overhanging limbs. Mm -hmm. A farmer's got it cleaned up or maybe just, maybe you've had some dozer work along that edge and there's nothing hanging out. I've gone into situations like that and cut down an entire sapling, let's say maybe two inches in diameter, and find a junk tree that's no good and a drill with some long screws and screw that tree, that sapling, into the side of that tree. So now I've got a limb that reaches way out over the field, eight, ten feet, and there's that low overhanging limb mm-hmm. um, that, that there's doesn't exist anywhere else. That would be the ideal situation. Um, the probably the least ideal situation is a field edge that has all, I mean, everywhere you look down through there, it's all the perfect height limb mm-hmm. and there's nothing sticking out. That is a, that is a poor situation for, for mock scrapes. And that situation is probably already scrapes up and down that field edge. Just go hang your camera on one of those. There's no need in making a mock scrape because there's already a bunch of them down there. Right. I'm looking for an area where there, there isn't really anything already. Um, or maybe there are some scrapes but like I said, I can't get my camera on them. So I want to make something that looks a little bit better or a lot better rather that I can easily hang a camera on to monitor those scrapes. Right. I got you. Okay. What about, um, what about when you did, when you're digging out this time of year, you know, if you're, if you're digging into the actual dirt, making the scrape there, are you always using a tool? Do you ever use your shoe and is there an ideal depth and size? So that that one I was telling you about the other day with the big with the big grapevine that I picked up off the ground, um, I didn't have my ha- I didn't have my machete with me, so I just kicked the leaves out of the ground with my foot, reached over and grabbed up, grabbed a stick and kind of made some paw marks in the in the uh, thing. You know when a buck scrapes, he leaves two distinct marks in the ground. I don't think deer stand there and look at it and say, "Well, that's only one mark." A deer didn't do that. <laughs> However. I do think those marks, those paw marks in there, because a, a doe doesn't do that. A doe just licks the branch and squats and pees. At least I've never seen a doe actually paw it. I don't think they do. So that, to me, that's a visual indicator that a buck has been in that spot. Now, they may not pay it any attention, but in, in, again, in my mind, the way my mind works is I need to leave a paw mark in that, in that track. So mm-hmm. I, will, I will scratch at the ground you know, kind of in a configuration that it looks like a buck did it. And then that's it. So I'll just use a stick or, or whatever. And, and I, I try not to handle the licking branch. If there's a licking branch there, I try not to handle it right there where the deer's going to stick his nose in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm, I'm careful when I'm hanging a new one, I, I only handle it from the end that I cut a deer can probably still smell I handled it, but I don't want to handle right on the, the leaves and things like that mm-hmm. or on the end where they're going to be licking that kind of thing. Cause I, I think their, their senses may be even more in tune at, at that point. So I'm, I'm trying to get away from it. So I, when I, when I handle that stick that I'm digging in the ground, I, this is just a thing in my brain. I need to get it away from the scrape, even though I just stood right there. I need to get that stick away. Cause that's something <laughs> sure. I handle 
and I'm more likely to leave scent behind with my hands than I would just the the bottoms of my feet. So yeah. I'm throwing I'm throwing that stick over, you know, out of the, out of the way. So it's it just, just feels I'm, good to I'm, fling I'm, it, you know. It just feels good to throw it over there. I'm just anal about some things, man. I, and I've got my own process. And I got a message from a guy the other day that filmed me on an Iowa hunt a few years ago. Young guy, really good guy. And I've got my own process and. He sent me this message on Facebook. He said, man, he said, I got to I got to be honest with you about something. When you were here and we were doing the things that you did, he said, I thought you were crazy. He said, I really did. He said, but the craziest thing the other day, I'm looking to hang a stand and I'm analyzing things. And, I, and I'm thinking, where did I learn this? And he said, I learned it from you. And he said, it works. And I said, I know it works. I wouldn't do it if it works. Now, it may not always work. And, and it's like it's like scent control, man. I don't, you're never going to eliminate human scent. However, I've got this routine that I go through that I believe has some effectiveness and it makes me feel better when I'm in the woods. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that. I hunted yesterday for the first time. I was in, I was in a bank's blind, which I have all the confidence in the world that will contain your scent as good as anything else. However, I got busted three or four times and man, it just, I was cringing the entire time. I almost got down and climbed out, but it was so late at that point. I knew I was going to bust even more probably walking out because deer come in from a direction I wasn't expecting them to. And I was just sitting there the whole time. I didn't shower. I didn't do this. I left straight from church and went and got in a tree and or not in a tree, but in the blind. And man, I was just cringing the entire time. Didn't see many deer. Um, but oh, well, yeah, that's what it man, <laughs> I, I can totally relate to uh, to what you're saying there about just the things that you do that you're not really sure, you know, you know if it makes if it makes a big difference, but it's a peace of mind thing. You know, I used to I played a lot of football, man, and and um, that was you know something that it was like if if I did great the last game, then why wouldn't I do things exactly the same way? Why wouldn't I prepare the same way? Why wouldn't I wear the same socks? Um, you know, yep. same type of things on you know that you're wearing on your jersey and that kind of thing. Uh, you just kind of go. Whatever happened the last time I put these pads on, you know, it, it worked for me. So why wouldn't I do it the same way? You know, I don't know. It could be anything from, like, uh, you know, if you wear a certain style of boot when you go in hunting, it's like, well, maybe I, because I wore the waterproof boots, I walked through the water, you know, instead of around it or something, and that caused me to be successful last time I was here, you know. So I totally relate to that, man. I think it's not really superstition. It's just like this is an effective means of me doing what I'm doing, so I'm going to continue to do it that way. So That's exactly right. I like it, man. Yep. So one of the things that you talked about a lot is putting cameras over the scrapes, and that's kind of been like the thing that uh, – I don't know. We we haven't talked about, but you've talked about it so much, so we need to talk about it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, like your method for that? Like how high you're going to put a camera, what type of camera, and maybe what settings you're going to put on that camera to make sure you're optimizing your uh, your use of that scrape. So here's my thing. I don't believe there's any sense in putting out a box scrape if it doesn't have a camera on. Why? <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hunt over it. Now, the, with the exception of that is in my food plots. I have mock scrapes in my food plots that I don't necessarily because I want that buck to have another reason to come in there or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. Um, that's that's it. But I I don't I don't set a mock scrape line to go and hunt. Um, it just it's just not the way the way I work. Um, so I'm going to put a camera on it. That's the whole point is so that I can inventory the deer that are using that, that scrape. So my, my method is I want to be, I want to be as close as I can and still get a good frame. So typically, you know, most people's living rooms are probably about 15 feet across. 
that's about as far away as I want to be from a scrape. Mm -hmm. um, cameras will sense further than that, but I want really good detail and high quality pictures just for my enjoyment as much as anything else. Yeah. So, um, uh, so I want to be relatively close, 10, 10 feet, something like that. Not, not any more than about 15. That doesn't mean I never put on further than 15 because I do. Um, but I would prefer to be closer. Mm -hmm. Um, I will use, I will use like a stick and pick. I, I love stick and picks and I've got a bunch of them. Um, but man, I lose them and lose parts and, and everything. <laughs> it seems like when I got the perfect spot, I don't have a stick and pick to stick there. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I can't have enough of them. Let's just put it that way. So I'm, I'm trying to put that scrape before I start putting a scrape. I'm looking for a place to put the camera. Literally they go hand in hand. Where can I hang the camera? If I put the scrape here or vice versa, if I've got a perfect place for the camera, I'm looking for the perfect spot to put a scrape. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I hang the cameras. It's really going to depend on the terrain. Here in Kentucky, we have hills. So sometimes my cameras are really low to the ground. Sometimes they're really high off the ground. If the ground is nice and level, my belly button is just about the perfect height for a, for a trail camera on a scrape. Um, so, that's again, I've got these crazy little measurements that, that I use. And now it's, you know, probably three to four feet is is ideal. Mm -hmm. um, uh, not much higher than that. I want them to be about eye level with the deer. And uh, um, you know, a deer, a, a buck, when he approaches a scrape, he's going to have his nose on the ground and all the way as high as he can reach. So you've got a wide variance there to cover. You, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So if you put it too low, you're going to miss him when he's got his head up in the in the tree. If you put it too, too high, you're going to miss him when he's got his nose down in the scrape. So mm -hmm. I want the camera close enough to get a good picture and high enough to get him from all extremes, if, if that makes sense. So, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I guess as far as settings go, I, I run a lot of Spartan cell cams. Um, and I, you know, I got to disclose, I work for Spartan. That's why, I mean, I work for them because I believe in them, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I believe in them. So I use them if, if that makes sense. So I run cell cams on quite a few scrapes. Um, and, and the reason being is if there, if, if there's a buck on his feet in daylight, I want to know right now and scrapes are vital to have that information today and not two weeks from now you, you got me so yeah. um when when there's a buck on his feet you better be there and uh i, I you know, it, it cost me a giant a few years ago um i had a, i had a wireless camera on a scrape and had a big buck that i had not had many pictures of that year and he passes through an area in daylight i was on my way about nine o'clock in the morning my wife was out of town on vacation so i had to get my kids on the bus and so for a week, they can get themselves off the bus, but I got to make sure they're up and ready for school. <laughs> right, to right. so, so for a week, she's on vacation and I'm on rutcation. Okay. And it's, it's late October and I've got 160 inch typical 12 pointer that, that I had quite a few pictures of, but he wasn't quite to the point of showing himself in daylight, but I knew that any point he was going to start showing up in daylight and I had him pegged. I knew where he was going to be. I had enough history with the deer that if I could have just hunted long enough, I would have killed him at this spot. I, I know it. I just enough history with him. I'm on my way down the third or fourth day hunting, and I get a picture on the way there of uh, mid to high 150s 10-pointer that's 24 inches inside spread. Just Ooh. a tank of a deer, five-year-old buck. Yeah. And I immediately divert. Um, immediately <laughs> divert, and I go, and I get on this deer because he's in daylight. And what deer am I going to hunt? The one that's in daylight oh, or yeah. the one that ain't quite in daylight yet? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I got over there and knowing what I know, too many times I've had all day sits where I catch a glimpse of a buck in the morning and I kill him when he comes back in the evening. Um, it don't always happen, but there or I see him again in the evening. So my thought is if I can get in there and set up on this deer, hunt him till dark, there's a good chance he's going to come back through. Well, he may have come back through, but he didn't come back through where I could see him. I never saw him. As sure as the world, what did I do? I get a daytime picture of the big deer I was hunting. Uh, and oh, I no. went in on him. Had I, had I not diverted, I would have killed that other deer. So sometimes it costs you, but it just could have easily gone the other oh, way. Oh, sure. As yeah, so, absolutely, man. Does that happen? How often does that happen where you have a, where you have uh, trail cameras of a picture of a deer uh, in the morning and, in, and then back in the evening as well at a scrape? Um, during, during that, that late October time frame, it, it can happen. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it really can. And I'm not going to, I don't know how often it happens, but you can bet your sweet bippy, buddy. If I get, if I'm not there and I get a picture of a giant on a scrape in the morning and I've got a stand somewhere nearby, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there that evening. Uh-huh. Um, I killed, um, I killed a buck, uh, four, three, four years ago that exact scenario. He was not, he was not on my hit list and, and we're getting, we're getting on into the rut and, um, I'm hunting, uh, golly, it might've been the year of the 12 pointer. It was, it was the same year of the, of the big typical 12 pointer. And, um, I am, uh, I'm hunting a, 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 another, let's see, I'm trying to remember what year it was. No, it wasn't. It was a different. I hope you still hunt this farm. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it sounds pretty good. And and it was, I I hunt a bunch of different farms. These stories won't necessarily be on the same farm, but I was actually hunting a different typical 12 pointer, both of which (laughs) both typical 12s got killed by another hunter Mm. within a day or so of, of me trying to kill him. But, um, um, anyway, I was hunting this other deer. He got killed like the second day of gun season. I had another shooter on camera that, that, uh, um, I had missed early, like, uh, third week of October. I missed him with a bow. Um, I found out the neighbor killed him the next day. And then I had a giant buck that just went, he just went underground. I, I mean, just a, a, a by giant, sometimes I, I, I'm, confused he wasn't really the high scoring of a deer but he was probably a seven or eight year old buck just Ooh. looked like a Brahma bull walking mm-hmm. through the woods um and uh had him regularly had transitioned to start hunting him and then he just he went mi i don't know if i pushed him off the property i don't think so or a neighbor likely killed him and and uh he just disappeared mm-hmm. so i'm sitting there one day going through my pictures and i'm like every deer i wanted to shoot is dead and then I, I I get that evening on my Spartan app, I get this deer I called Brutus. He was a five or six year old buck, probably golly, what did he score? He's probably uh, I'm looking at him right now. He's he's probably one thirty five, something like that, but an older deer, big, mm-hmm. big old body. And I had a daytime picture of him. At that evening and i thought i'll be in there tomorrow and i that was the first deer i ever shot with a rifle that was i, I was a bow hunter you know hardcore but the, i shot him with a rifle the next evening mm-hmm. after getting a daytime picture of him and uh um yeah so it, it happens man having yeah. that having that most recent information is is key man sure so. <laughs> what's 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 the chances of uh so uh, we hunt a lot of public, uh, and so we don't have a ton of history with deer sometimes. So if you're, uh, say you got a camera hanging up and then all of a sudden, uh, it's been hanging there three weeks, you've been getting some pictures of some deer and then all of a sudden this random buck shows up in the morning. Are you same situation? Do you think he's going to be back through in the evening possibly? 
Man, that's a tough one because a lot of times I think what's happening with those random deer is they're they're on a march and you just don't know where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an encounter with a deer like that in Illinois several years ago, and we just happened to be in a situation where we could watch that deer for a long, long ways. And he he worked to scrape it at 20 yards of us, and I didn't have a shot. Um, limbs just weren't – I was with an outfitter. Um, and we watched that buck for probably a mile and a half, and he never – he other than that stopping to work that scrape and me not being able to get a shot of him, when he left that scrape, he was in a he was in a trot with his nose to the ground, and we watched him for a mile and a half. Mm. Um, just in that kind of a situation where you could see him for a long time working the tree edge, and he – finally just disappeared and still on a march so i think sometimes especially in the midwest you get deer like that that are on a march you don't know where they're going to end up i killed a buck in kansas one time um i had a picture of it at 7 a.m working a scrape i killed him um an hour and a half later no i killed him at 9 30 two and a half hours later a mile and a half from where we got that scrape picture at. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, those, those kind of deer, and he was a local deer. We were familiar with him, but man, sometimes you just don't know. It's, right. it's a chance I'm going to take. I mean, if I, if I've got a new deer show up in an area, um, I had a guy email me, a Spartan customer email me a few years ago in Georgia. He, <laughs> it's a neat story. He went in and hung a Spartan camera and, um, got uh, got pictures of a deer on his way home him and his girlfriend went hung the camera they get in their car to drive home he's an hour and a half or so away he gets a picture of this buck giant mid 150s in georgia okay mm. he tells his girlfriend he says i got to go back <laughs> and he goes back gets in the tree and kills the buck that evening oh wow wow yeah how about that? Story, that's pretty huh? cool, man. That's yeah. yeah, that's there's a lot. I mean, so if you're setting if you're setting you said earlier, you don't set up a mock scrape to hunt over it necessarily. So how are you setting up mock scrapes so that you can kill deer though? So the way I hunt during the rut is I'm looking for travel corridors that I know deer are gonna be moving. All right. Mm-hmm. If I know he's in the area. And I have a pretty good understanding of how he's going to move through that area. That's how I do it. So I'm just identifying the area he's in. And then either through familiarity with the property or studying maps, topographical maps, or through habitat manipulation, I know where he's most likely going to move. Does that make sense? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred so, percent. That's, that's so, like deer and deer habitat are going to always kind of be similar across different spaces. You know, there's going to be things that deer just do. So I mean, I'm picking up that you're saying, now I know what deer I want to target, and I know how deer use this property, so I'm going to go get in their way. That's exactly right. Yeah, yep. gotcha. Yeah. So, um, I think you mentioned a little bit about food plots and stuff earlier, and, uh, you know, one of the really, uh, I don't know, popular things to do nowadays is to do that licking branch kind of out in the middle of the food plot thing, and it's like a, a rubbing post slash scrape combo that doesn't seem very natural to me. Like I, I don't find that in the woods, right? Rubs that also have scrapes on them very yeah. often. You know, you, yeah. I feel like sometimes it's happenstance when it does happen. Is that something that you employ, or and how do you feel about that? I have not. I have not. Um, I've not tried planting rubbing trees, um, and I, a couple of reasons. I think. I think rubs. 
I've seen signpost rubs before that got rubbed year after year after year after year. Mm -hmm. a matter of fact, I've got a wireless camera on one in Illinois right now. Um, and I, a good friend of mine has a rub post leaning up in the corner of his lodge that I met him. The very first time I met him, he pointed it out to me. It's right on the side of the road. It's a underground. It was an underground uh, cable pole had a had a sign on it said underground buried cable or whatever mm -hmm. and these bucks had rubbed that thing down to an hourglass shape you see that a lot where there's limited cover limited limited trees and stuff like that um so they're they're rubbing on what's available i guess um however i think those are those are probably as rare as booners you, you know what i mean they're, they're <laughs> sure, yeah. as, um they're, those those rubbing posts that get rubbed a lot are, are pretty rare i'm not saying you can't create that situation However, there's there's just so many more scrapes, it seems like, than there are rubs. And to me, it's so easy to create that. Um, I, I don't know. I just have, I haven't experimented with it. It's kind of like me putting a mock scrape in the woods. I'm pro I probably wouldn't know where to begin, to be honest. I mean, I, I would because I would try to put them in a saddle or, or on the point of a ridge or, or somewhere that I knew was going to dictate some deer travel. But, but why would I even put a scrape there? Because I know the bucks, that's where they're going to travel. Right. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I would for inventory purposes, but I, I don't know. I, I I just haven't grasped the the entire buck rub thing yet. Mm -hmm. I have planted scrape trees before, but usually it's driving a T post and strapping a sapling to it. They're mm -hmm. not going to rub on that, obviously. I tell you what, I have been very effective at is, and I learned this the hard way: is planting apple trees and not caging them and coming back. And I just created a bunch of rubbing posts. So, um, <laughs> not they'll, they'll cheap, not cheap out. ones either. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So do you feel like a deer, um, they enjoy or they uh, tend to go to a, a scrape or licking branch or something that has that overhead cover somewhat to it? You know, like maybe not like so much that it's interfering with the, the licking branch, but at the same time, I feel like that T-post out in the middle of the pasture with a, a limb on it just doesn't quite seem natural. Does it affect them much? I don't think it does. And to, to be honest... With a mature buck, I almost wonder if the act of him working that is kind of showing some some dominance. So I think, personally, I think one being out in the open may be a little excuse me, advantageous because other deer can see him. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I don't have that biology down quite pat, but to me, the visibility of it— have you ever watched a buck just stretch all out? I mean, his back legs are out. His he's stretched out just like Ryan Kirby has a painting of one, and it's it's like the epitome of a buck working a scrape. I forget the name of his, his painting, but uh, uh, it's just beautiful. And to me, when I picture a buck working a scrape, that's it. Mm -hmm. And why would you do all that if it wasn't to get a little bit of attention? It's kind of like it's kind of <laughs> like the star quarterback strutting through the bar. You know, he's mm -hmm. he's he's strutting like that because he knows he's he's the cock of the walk and and uh i don't know i i think maybe with mature bucks having it out in the open might might be advantageous yeah, yeah. um if, if that if that makes sense yeah no it totally makes sense i never really thought about it that way i'm glad you brought it up but you know a lot of you know deer just kind of get their their willies out on scrapes you know they just they enjoy making it it's not just a function right so it's it's kind it's kind of like a there's got to be more to it socially than just the idea of I'm going to rub this tree so that or you know scrape this or lick this branch or whatever so that does know I'm here you know there's something more to it so yeah it totally makes sense man. So I was in a, I was in a tree one time in Kansas. My best friend Dave, um, who got me into hunting, was in the tree right next to me, and just by happenstance, 
well, not by happenstance. We found one of those signpost rubs. This thing was a cedar tree and was as big around as my 25-year-old waist, not my 45-year-old. <laughs> right? um, I mean, Relatively thin, it right? Was, I mean, it was, it was big, man. It was, to this day, the biggest rub I've ever seen. And it had generationally been rubbed, probably by deer that were there before I was there. You oh, know what I'm cool. saying? And yes. It was, it was just one of those kind of deals, and it survived all that over the years. And we had found that rub, and, and we hung a, hung a stand next to it, not so much because we were next to that rub, but it was just a great spot to be anyway. And after we got in the tree, I noticed there was a scrape right directly in front of the tree on a deer trail um, that I hadn't even noticed coming in. And so the deer trail's right in front of us. The wind's in our face. We've got a perfect setup. There's a river to our back. It's a really neat we had a great hunt. I ended up killing. I ended up killing my first big buck ever the next day, just up the river slightly from where we were at this evening. So, so we're sitting there, and I look up, and this little year and a half old five pointer comes strolling up that strolling up that trail. And I'll never forget when he approached that scrape. Man, have you ever have you ever watched a kid sneaking in the cookie jar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're nervous. Like they're looking over their shoulder. They're making. They know what they're doing is not right. Well, that's mm-hmm. the way this buck approached this scrape. He walked up to it, and man, he looked over his shoulder both ways, and he kind of sniffed the ground a little bit. He looked over his shoulder again, and he looked at the licking branch, and he checked back over his shoulder, and he stretched up, and he's just looking around to make sure. Whatever big buck had visited that wasn't nearby. And he finally he finally licked the branch a little bit. I don't think he ever completed. It's very rare for a year-and-a-half-old buck to complete the entire scrape process, to lick the branch, to pee on their tarsals, to paw the ground. It's, it's, it's very rare. Most, most of that activity is happening from, from older bucks. And in, in other words, to complete the entire process, mm-hmm. which is three parts to that basically. So anyway, um, he, he finally gets, gets past the scrape and he, he walks on up the trail and he turns and he looks at that rub. Now, this is where I learned that the old, the old thing that, um, uh, Big bucks rub little trees, but little bucks don't rub big trees. I learned that was bogus. Now I don't think I don't think little bucks destroy big trees like a big buck can, but they definitely rub them. Um, so he's sitting there, and this tree is bigger around than he is. Okay, I'm I'm serious. It's a it's a honking tree. <laughs> he looks at that tree, and he looks around, and he finally turns and faces the tree. And man, he was just as nervous. He's taking half steps. I've never seen a deer act so nervous. He had no clue we were in the world. He eases up to that tree. And he looks around again. He licks his lips a little bit, and he, he just kind of butts his antlers against it. I mean, his antlers won't even come close to going around. It's like it's like rubbing a fork on the side of the wall. Okay, that's what <laughs> literally. It was just you know there was no there was no comparison. Um, and uh, he he finally settles in and he starts rubbing this tree, man. And he is he is rubbing this thing. He has every muscle in his body flexed, and he's pushing them little antlers in that tree as hard as he can. And he's going up and he's going down. And he has forgotten there's anything else in the world. Okay, <laughs> he is, there's nothing else exists but him, that tree, and hopefully a doe. Okay, that's all he's thinking. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, it scared all three of us, the deer, me, and my buddy Dave. All of a sudden, his antlers must have either broke a tine or caught something, and it popped real loud. 
man, that deer came unglued. <laughs> and he got right back nervous and started looking all around. And he never approached that tree again. He backed out and left because he didn't know he didn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, it was one of the things that he knew that other deer could see him. He's the image. But I don't think a five or six-year-old buck would have behaved like that. A five or six-year-old buck would have walked right up to that thing, worked it, went over and rubbed on that tree and went all about their way. But, man, he was nervous. So that's what I mean by I think a mature buck would, would probably enjoy showing himself a little bit at, at a scrape that's kind of out in the open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. yeah, that makes sense, man. You know, another thing you hear about, uh, and I know you don't you don't particularly hunt the scrape itself very often, but you hear that, like, mature bucks, after a rainstorm, are going to want to get up and hit those scrapes, you know, and then that's just, it's like a tact, it's a thing people know, supposedly, right? How do <laughs> yeah. you feel about that? I don't know, man. I, I guess I've never really put any effort into into confirming that. Um, I, maybe I should. Maybe I'd hunt scrapes more often. But <laughs> I, I never, I never have put any effort into confirming that. Um, probably wouldn't be too difficult to go back and, and look because I've got I've got ten or twelve years of scrape photo history, so I could probably go back and and maybe with some. Uh, historical weather data <laughs> confirm or deny but yeah. I, I don't know man I, I wish i could comment on it but i'm mm-hmm. not sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah i got you do you uh do you go back and, and look at history a lot when it comes to you know trail cam photos and stuff and maybe confirming you know maybe this scrape worked better than this scrape or vice versa or whatever um you know i i, I look at historical trail cam data a lot mainly trying to identify bucks that I maybe didn't show pay any attention to when they were young and now they're mature and I want to see if I had pictures of them. So I, I try to save every identifiable buck. Um, I try to save pictures of them. I've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of videos or pictures uh, rather saved. Um, uh, matter of fact, I've, I've got, I've got a, what I'll call a world-class three-year-old buck right now and i'm convinced he's three-year-old i've shown the pictures to some other folks they're telling me he's four um however just being familiar with the deer in the area i'm just convinced that last year he was a two-year-old i've got a picture of him the year before that he would have been a year and a half old and and again i went back through my pictures i found one photo actually i found a series of three pictures um at a mineral lick from three years ago to me that confirmed our two years ago i'm sorry um that confirmed he's a three and a half year old deer um he just looked like the quintessential year and a half old buck mm-hmm. um just had a pretty good rack in a year and a half but uh, um so i look at historical data a lot matter of fact um i had a i had a shooter show up um about three weeks ago on a farm i hunt with some other guys and uh um, I, I just, from memory kind of mistook him for, for another mature buck from last year. And I was kind of surprised he grew so much antler, um, in one year. Cause he was probably only mid one thirties last year. Um, but was on the hit list because of his maturity and uh, nobody, nobody shot him. Uh, I knew he made it through the season. And then this year when he showed up, he put on 15, 15 inches of antler and for a five-year-old buck to put on that much at that size you know it was kind of unusual mm-hmm. um however he didn't look any older um which was which was you know, unusual as well mm-hmm. um but we just discounted it as that was the same deer because his antler characteristics were so similar and and then he had a double white throat patch the deer my buddy mm-hmm. killed had a double white throat patch and i only had a few daytime pictures of that deer last year and i couldn't find them so i spent about two hours the other day and i had i had just missed 
placed a folder of pictures on my desktop and I finally found them. And sure enough, the buck last year we called the flyer nine did not have a double white throat patch. Mm. And he showed up a few nights ago and man, he is unbelievable. He didn't grow much antler. just like I expected. He might've put on five inches of antler from one year to the next, but his body is just unbelievable, man. He's now got my full attention. Um, <laughs> uh, Absolutely. And he doesn't score much. I've got two deer like that. I've got two over the hill bucks. Uh, one of them might score 90 inches. Uh, and then this one scores probably 140. Um, and I'll shoot either one of them that gives me an opportunity. Just They're just not quite yet on that daytime pattern. I, I went in yesterday with a muzzleloader after the flyer nine, hoping that he would slip up. But um, it's funny. You guys use the DeerCast app? No, we haven't, man. Probably should. Man, it amazes me how accurate that thing is. And I I got busted some, so I'm sure that kind of had some influence on what I saw. But this spot I was at, typically I was here. Um, And I think I saw eight or nine um, and only two or three bucks, which is probably great for, for, it would be phenomenal on some farms I have. But this farm, that's pretty, it's got a really high deer density. Um, But uh, anyway, he, he was a no-show. Um, I should have known better. The deer cast, the deer cast app said poor, so I should have stayed at home. But, <laughs> yeah. but I don't want to put I don't want to put too much faith in that because it's kind of a lazy man's answer to 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 when to go hunt. You yeah. know, I want to hunt when I have an opportunity. But I've been amazed at how how accurate that thing is with deer movement on when it says a good or a great day. It's it's a it's amazing to me. Um, which Mark and Terry have been doing long enough. They they should know. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, anyway, pretty pretty unique. That, yeah, uh, pretty interesting how well that thing actually works. Yeah, but man, you just I love that kind of stuff. You know the the next new secret or whatever. But you just can't kill them at home. You know, and then whenever, no, right, when you're a busy that's dude, exactly right. you know, sometimes you just got to hunt when you get the chance. And uh, that's right. Uh, that's why it's good to take this holistically and try to take like the stuff we learned from you about scrapes and apply it with all the other knowledge that we've acquired. And then hopefully, the day you do get to hit the woods you can make the best moves possible to put yourself in the best position to kill that big buck. Mm-hmm. My philosophy behind that is if, if I can hunt, I am. Yeah. However, if it's a day that says it's going to be great and the timing is right, you can bet your bet. I'm going to be changing some appointments around and you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, exactly. I, I use them in that way. I don't want to miss the day. You know, yeah. usually I already know that the weather, the weather front's moving in, you know, there's, there's something, something that's going to trigger that activity. And, and they've done the same thing. They just managed to put it in a, in an app format, but yeah. we've all got that in our head. We know what days are going to be great and, yeah. and what typically aren't. So. Oh, absolutely. Man, Dave, this has been a great podcast, man. I appreciate it. Just tons of practical advice for guys that are busy and working and that kind of thing and you know it's you get you can get some guys on here to talk about you know uh, just outrageous scent control involved and stuff like that and man it's cool if you can do that but some guys you know they gotta like you take the kids to school or go to church and and then they gotta you know dip out and and uh go hunting for the evening or whatever and you don't always uh you don't always get to get all the cologne off you or whatever you got on so it's it's man i like i like all the practical advice you gave and the stories were great man i appreciate that a lot um what's uh what's a way somebody can get in touch with you maybe see some of the properties you got or uh just ask you more about scrapes or whatever Man, um, easiest way to get in touch with me is, uh, or find out properties, I guess I should say, is whitetailproperties.com. And then there's an agent's uh, 
link on there um, and just find my name. Um, I usually have some pretty pretty nice properties here in, in West Central Kentucky. Um, but anywhere in Kentucky, if somebody's looking, tell them, give me a call. My cell, phone's, my cell phone number's listed on there. I'll give it to you even. It's 270-791-3705. So if you're looking for hunting property in Kentucky or you got something you want to sell, Call me uh, if you got a a hunting question. Um, hit me up on Facebook. I'm I'm on there probably more often than I should. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, let's see what is the name of my Facebook page? Dave Skinner, Whitetail Properties of Kentucky, or something. I think if you search that, you'll find me. Cool. I've got a pretty good pretty good following on social media. Uh, I post a lot of a lot of hunting tips and and habitat related stuff on my Facebook page. It's not just a real estate deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably, it's probably 90% hunting related, 10% real estate because I, I feel like I owe it to, to give back, you know? So I, I put a lot of, a lot of habitat related stuff on their food plot information. Not as much now as I used to, because it seems like I'm too darn busy, but I've got probably 50 videos on my phone that I've not posted because I've been too dang busy to actually post the darn things. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, but anyway, yeah, that's, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me and real, real quick. We talked before we got, before you started recording, um, it's not too late, uh, to get out and get your cameras on scrapes. And, and again, it's a great indicator of what, what the rut's doing when those scrapes go cold, you know, and I've literally put scrapes out on November 1st and had bucks work them at, at two o'clock that same afternoon, mm-hmm. put them up at noon and by two o'clock have a buck on that scrape and a, a real quick story. Cause I know you guys are ready to cut it out. So yesterday <laughs> evening, yesterday evening when I hunted, um, I walked right past a mock scrape to go to my stand. And so when I came out, I left early enough that I could slip out just in case there was something working that scrape on my way out. Um, and, uh, I of course had to stop by and it was not a wireless camera, just a regular, regular trail cam. So I was able to review the last few photos and, and seven minutes before I walked out, there was a shooter standing there on that dang scrape. Oh. And uh, yeah, yeah. So man, you just never Ooh, know, man. should have been hunting scrapes a, that day, man. <laughs> I, I should have, I should have been, but I don't have, I don't even have a stand nowhere near that. It's a net. It's not a mock. I said mock scrape It's actually not a mock scrape. Um, I had a mock scrape there a couple of years ago. And this is one of those situations that you got to adjust. Sometimes the mock scrape wasn't getting hit all that much and i couldn't figure out why and then i i looked across the power line and there's just a more it, it was just a more obvious type natural occurring scrape and that's what they were hitting so i just aimed my camera a little differently and man i've got some really and it's 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 not in a situation where i could it's right by where we park at is what's crazy oh, man. We, we don't have a choice but to park there it's right by the farmer's field he doesn't allow he doesn't allow any hunting and i just feel uncomfortable hunting that close to the property line so um we 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 don't um so that it's just it, it lets me know what deer is there As a matter of fact the first pictures i got of the flyer nine last year were, were on that scrape and he didn't show up where we could where we would actually hunting for about two weeks but he was on that scrape every night um mm-hmm. for, for about two weeks until he finally got down got enough interested in the does that he would come around to where we were hunting yeah man that's awesome man i I, uh, I'm pretty jacked up. I'm about to go make a scrape myself, I think, uh, for personal use. Uh, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about in full rut as well. So uh, I actually am going to Iowa next week. So, uh, or actually later this week. Yeah. This week, so, man. Uh, yeah, man, when this releases, I'll be heading to Iowa. So, uh, I'm might have to employ What's some that? of these tactics, man. What, what part of Iowa? It's going to be South Central. Okay. What county? 
Don't know. I don't know exactly because it's it's, uh, it's all over the zone, uh, but it's the zone five, and uh, okay, you know, I'll be hunting public. I don't have any uh, good contacts or anything, so uh, feel free after we get off, <laughs> just send me all kinds of numbers from farmers up there if you got them. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I'm excited, man, and I appreciate all the advice. Uh, we'll link to to uh, your social and uh, your phone number and everything if you want uh, down in the notes below, so the listener can go check that out and go check out properties and and hit you up about scrape information if they got any further questions. And Dave, man, I appreciate it a lot. Uh, send us some pictures when you shoot some big deer, like the Flower Nine. All right, buddy, sounds good. All right, man. Thank you, guys. Well, now I'm ready to find the scrape that's the size of the hood of a truck. I always hear that, you know, like everybody talks about the one that's the size of a hood of a truck. And I, I guess it's just a thing you see a lot. I don't know why it's always got to be that size or. Yeah. Uh, you know, why can't it be like, I don't know, the size of the, of a four wheeler or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, why is it? Yeah. Size of a head of a truck. Because it's, it's flat. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. I, what I, uh, if you explained it? The size of a scrape if you were to lay down and lay one direction and then turn 90 degrees as you were making like if you were going to make a plus sign on the ground that's the size of the scrape it was that's, people don't say that because of, it's too many words it's a lot of words yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we'll stick sure. with the hood, hood all truck. right so i'm ready to find one we're uh if you're listening to this we are probably in iowa uh if you're listening soon after this releases and um I guess, you know, hopefully looking for some scrapes, but, uh, I know that uh, we'll be, yeah, no kidding. Um, but I know that we will be, um, posting to social media, uh, as often as possible. A lot of it will be, if you want to keep up with it, will be on our Instagram story. Uh, hopefully we'll get to Facebook with some of that stories and and some content there as well. But, uh, more than anything, it's just going to be kind of like a more of a live hunt on Instagram story. So if you're not on Instagram, uh, you may just have to wait till we get back or bite the bullet and get your Instagram account. Um, anyway, we are pretty excited about the possibilities of Iowa. We still don't know where we're going yet at this point. <laughs> it's the day before we leave. So, um, once we figure that out, we will really be, really be excited. But we, we got some pretty good ideas. We did some map scouting the other day together, joint effort. It's not a bad problem. It's not like, oh, uh, we're out of places. It's- yeah. We don't know where to go because it's all There's looking lot, real good. A lot of it looks good. Yeah. It really is just a matter of, yeah, it's a matter of like, okay, well, for this wind, can we find the place where they're going to come through an area within 40 yards mm-hmm. from just looking at maps? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty tough thing to do. There's only so many like funnels out there that you can see from an aerial, and if you can, there's a likelihood that there's somebody hunting it, especially when you're on you know public like we're going to be. So um, anyway... Um, as far as all that goes, we appreciate Dave coming on and giving us some knowledge for, uh, for scrape hunting and just making mock scrapes, because I know you and I employ that, especially a lot here in Texas, we where do. there's not a whole lot of scrapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had that work, uh, sometimes I actually sent, uh, Dave a picture of a teenager that was on a scrape last year, the mock scrape that you and I made. Yep. And we freshened up this year. You know, something that, uh, I think talking to him about has really kind of changed my mind is in the past there's been times when I like would just make a scrape without any concern for if deer actually come by here very often Mm -hmm. like just hoping that like it brings them over but I think if you make a mock scrape and it fails it's because there just isn't enough deer passing by that spot to to check the scrape Mm -hmm. you know they're not gonna change their course or their path um 
drastically, you know, maybe like 15, 20 yards to come check it. But like they're not going to like end up in a different area of the property just to go to the scrape that you made. Mm -hmm. Right. And that seems so like it so easy to to comprehend. But there has been times when I've done it. When you hunt in East Texas, like finding a trail that's pretty well used Mm -hmm. is a tough thing. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to like be like, okay, well, there's deer tracks moving through this general area. Um, you know, where should this scrape go? As opposed to like, well, here's a trail. Let's just put a scrape right beside it, mm-hmm. you know, because it goes around the, the point of this timber in the ag field. That just doesn't happen here. So, yeah. I mean, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And, and I think a lot of people that hunt similar habitat or big woods or that kind of thing might be, um, might be an understanding as well. So, um, speaking of Texas public, we've, we've got a couple of videos that are, that have come out and that will come out next couple of days. Um, so go check those out. One had bucks fighting on public in Texas on the first week of October. Mm -hmm. So like pretty interesting deal there. And then the other one was just a really good hunt. We had does that we could have shanked pretty easy and we didn't. Uh, (laughs) but that's just because like we talked about before that you have to make the decision on like, how good does is the potential of this area in the rut? Does it need to have some does in it? Or is there one or two family groups groups in here? And how far do we have to get this doe out of and here? And how much are you going to intrude on the property by going to recover that doe? Yeah. Like I, yeah. there's it's different it's a big difference in walking to your stand and then going out there blood trailing a doe, walking around, figuring out where she's at and getting the cart and you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like man, you could book up property pretty bad oh, yeah. by just recovering a doe. And not that like she's worth less but i mean we all want to kill big bucks too a, and i mean you feel like you can find does in a lot of places yeah so. there's more does in the woods than yeah, there are bucks I mean, exactly so you, knowing that yeah it's it's definitely in it and you're not looking uh you know you may not be looking for such a small number of uh or percentage of those does for instance a lot of times you're looking for a buck that's legal he's got to be three years old most mm-hmm. of the time you know what i mean at least well for a doe you could shoot a two-year-old doe and be plenty happy yeah, you know and, what i mean uh those live longer too so mm-hmm. you, you could shoot a nine-year-old doe if you shoot a nine-year-old buck that's a big deal yeah you know yeah. like it's just not a thing that happens so sure i don't know i think it's just part of what you do you got to be particular about things but right. in general we have seen more deer on texas public this year yeah. than what we have in the past yeah. like it's a, it's a good year yeah i think uh that we are no better than what we ever have been. I think we're just lucky. <laughs> well, I mean, we had cold weather in October. I know, you man. Know? I That's mean, a big deal. It's a different year. We are talking about this before yep. the podcast. This is a different year, guys. I hunted this morning. It's October 23rd and saw some heavy pre-rut action uh, and saw two really good bucks on their feet up until 830 when the dog ran them off. So I don't like, know if we emphasized how big that one buck was good enough. Like that, the buck that you got on video is like was yeah. making me making my heart yeah jump around that, a little bit i mean that buck is like he's heavy he's heavy he's got eight. long tines he's got yep. a big body he kind of like, high racked yeah he, i mean he's he's a great buck he just you know he probably's wider than 13 but he's not to the tips of his ears because he's a bigger deer yeah that's right? what i think too but i'm not gonna risk it i think he's it's not worth the, the pass. risk well yeah. i mean dude the thing is it's October 23rd. Dude, what's You're gonna probably sh- going to have, I mean, we know this area a little mm-hmm. bit. You're probably going to have a little bit better deer show up. So, yeah. Whether well, you shoot it or one. not. He was, a, he was a deer like, I was, I had to, you you taught me this too. Like, I wanted to get him closer, but I kind of already knew I wasn't going to shoot him. Mm-hmm. 
So I had to tell myself, like, you know what? It's not worth messing with him if you're not going to shoot him. Because I used to, I would have just tried to see how close you could get, I could get him and then maybe talk myself into shooting him or something, yeah. you know? But, like, I knew I probably just need to let him sit. And uh, well, I don't know where I was going with that. This well, morning. I don't know either, but I know that it's <laughs> funny that you mentioned that because um, I was watching, it's been a, probably a couple months now, but uh, this summer I went back and watched our um, – baby body buck uh-huh. that you passed on public yeah and uh he like he's like that's five the, yards that's the time talking about. Yeah. yeah and so like and then he like he gets weird because the wind was swirling or something whatever i was moving i don't know but like him and the doe kind of get weird and so he like follows her out and he gets out to their like 30 35 yards and you're like should i should i should i see if he'll come back in should i rattle at him call at him whatever i don't remember what you said should i mess with him and i was like yeah i probably wouldn't if if you uh you know if you don't want to shoot him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't mess with him. And then the next year we saw him again and he was a giant. Yeah. But never got a <laughs> but shot. But we didn't see him from the stand. So, yeah, yeah. Party. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, don't, I don't know where you were going with that, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a Something about hunting deer. That's hey, what I, where I was, I was going. I think that's probably what yeah. you're looking at. <laughs> anyway, so those videos of uh, some of our excursions uh, in Texas have We'll probably be uh, posting, hopefully, sometime soon. I know we're going to be in Iowa and pretty busy, uh, but we may get some editing time on the way up and that kind of thing. And uh, hopefully we can just keep them as uh, as close to live as possible because I know that's what you guys enjoy seeing and, and keeping up with our hunts. And I appreciate a lot the, the interest that you guys have in us personally as opposed to just going and searching uh, for hunting videos all over the Internet, you know. Yeah. Um, so feels good to have some friends out there in the hunting world that care about you and, and – and, uh, and I guess likewise, send us pictures, man. If you guys are killing bucks, we've had several people send a, a couple of really big deer have been shot and sent to us Ed as Gummit. pictures. And it's just like that just jacks me up. I man. know, man. So y'all keep sending them if you shoot anything, man. And uh, and at some point, it's this is going to get crazy because it's uh, November's right around the corner. So anyway, uh, I hope you guys are gearing up. I hope you're you're uh, excited as excited as we are. I hope you're getting to go on trips. And I know that rutcations are coming up soon, so uh, be careful out there in the woods and make the best of it. And remember, this is your element. Live in it. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.